It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Time for uh, national security. Uh, in focus today with John Jordan, national security analyst, economist, and overseer at the Hoover Institute, uh, among many other uh, qualifications. Uh, Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, uh, said by the White House, is a national security necessity. It'd be interesting to see how they address uh, elements of the Abraham Accords, uh, the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA. And speaking of Iran, Putin visiting Iran next week. At the same time, a warning from uh, the FBI and our cybersecurity defense apparatus, CISA, on a North Korea cyber attack warning, uh, in some cases specifically related to ransomware. So, John, my friend, uh, that's a bit on the table. Uh, by the way, Biden with AMLO today discussing national security, I think, or maybe with our southern border, just as an additional idea to be thrown out there. Well, I'll have to, to see that to believe it, that he was actually discussing in any sort of meaningful activity to, to protect our southern border. More to the point, I'd have a hard, all just as hard a time believing that AMBLO, President Obrador of Mexico, is interested in that. They're both open borders kind of guys. I mean, even AMBLO made some threats last week about that. As for President Biden's upcoming trip to Saudi Arabia, this conjures up the, uh, the inestimable and unforgettable phrase, Please, Governor, could I have some more? As Oliver Twist asked Mr. Bumble from work gruel at the orphanage. Um, that's what that looks like. After years of saying, a couple of years of saying, uh, after the Khashoggi killing, which, offend, which was so upset the Washington media establishment, that uh, we were going to turn Saudi Arabia into a pariah. And then President Biden gets backed into a corner by the Greens, who don't want any more oil extracted from the United States. But apparently it's okay pull it out of the ground in Saudi Arabia, he's going to go and beg for an increase in oil production after he's turned his back on uh, on the Saudis, turned his back on the Abraham Accords. Um, so now he's going to get uh, slapped, around, slapped around pretty good and humiliated in, in Riyadh, um, where the Saudis can't or won't increase production by any amount that will be politically significant for President Biden. Yeah, numbers come into this, John. When you look at uh, the OPEC capacity, right? Uh, estimates are that 75% of their capabilities per day controlled by the UAE, Saudi Arabia, you just mentioned, and Russia. Uh, is there more? I mean, obviously there's more to this, but what do you think is the more to this? OPEC has already said they can't increase capacity they've said that to the biden administration as well as to the world yeah that's an opec plus russia really is not officially a member of opec but uh is a member of the larger group in that informal uh, phrase opec plus um there probably is there is a little extra capacity in those countries in the uae and saudi arabia in the short term in the long term there could be some more but uh there really there really isn't right now nor is there any incentive on the part of these company, these countries to help uh, President Biden. But even worse, when you really drill down in the numbers, day, you see that uh, some of the countries in Africa, which are fairly important oil producers themselves, especially when we're dealing with at the margins, right? So the world consumes 100 million barrels of oil a day. We consume around 20 of that. 
um, an additional million barrels a day of production is a huge deal. But in Nigeria and Angola, we're going to, the world's going to go backwards about 500,000 barrels a day. It's going to further tighten oil markets. Oil prices have come down lately, not because of anything that Biden did. It's more on fears of a recession. I mean, the oil markets work on a futures and expectations basis. And draining the strategic petroleum reserve doesn't help. Um, because it's not, that's not a sustainable thing. It's a fixed. That's a fixed number of barrels of oil. That's not the same as bringing, you know, a million barrels a day of production online. That's going to continue ad infinitum. So it's going to it's going to oil prices are going to get tighter. The uh, the Saudis are not particularly motivated to help, even if they could in the short term. But it will take them a while to retool some of what they're doing to put a politically meaningful number on the table. All right, let's add another aspect of politics to this. Uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, uh, going into a trilateral meeting with Iran and Turkey. Uh, And, of course, now we have an issue that also is it's, it's energy, it's national security, Turkey leaning more into NATO. What's on the table there, and does any of this... Uh, potentially tie in, or how would it tie into the Biden trip to Saudi Arabia? Uh, first of all, none of those three countries—Turkey, Iran, or Russia—really have um, interests that are aligned strategically. Remember, Turkey has supplied a lot of those drones, which took such a heavy toll on Russian armored units. Um, Turkey has uh, hewed the, the NATO line more than they've, they've straddled the fence, but they've leaned a little bit more into NATO, especially when you get down to military assets and what they have done in Ukraine. Um, the Iranians, the Russians, and the Tur- and Erdogan in Turkey are all somewhat politically insta- uns- to varying degrees politically unstable and at risk at home, and kind of in need of showing to their domestic audiences that they're not alone, that their countries are not isolated, that those leaders haven't isolated their countries. Erdogan's got big-time domestic, political, and economic problems. Um, Putin, well, no more need be said there, and uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of unrest, there's a lot of unrest in Iran as that economy continues um, to suffer horribly. And uh, so, so, those, so a lot of that is more for domestic consumption than anything else, even though it is kind of a a band of, you know, a loser's ball, the three of them. With regard to the Abraham Accords, him going to Iran will kind of highlight for the, for the Saudis and a lot of our Gulf friends and participants in the Abraham Accords, the geez, you know, Iran may be unstable, but it looks like they may be, uh, they, they, they maybe have a, a new friend of sorts in, in Russia, and that would be a friend of necessity, not a friend of necessarily any confluence of strategic values. But what Russia and Iran do have in common is they do control a significant amount of oil production. And energy is a weapon, is a weapon now in as much as higher energy prices um, can divide public opinion and in, the, in the democratic West. I mean, if it's a politically painful thing to do, that's something that can perhaps undermine the anti-Ukrainian or anti-Iranian coalition. Uh, the loser's ball, as you put it, and I wonder about this, and you being a Russia expert uh, as well, John, the man, Vladimir Putin, 
Is it possible, and it's a bit of conjecture from on my part, but is it possible that Putin knows, obviously, about the drones, he knows about that, the attacks, but he's more interested in his alignment or position uh, rather than even the lives of his troops on the battlefield? Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that's become clear is that President Putin is indifferent to human suffering. I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, he's made a mistake in, in going into Iran, and he's jeopardized his rule, and he's certainly going to have set the Russian economy back a long time, despite what their foreign ministry tries, tries to say. Um, again, but he's going into Iran. It's a foreign trip for him. Um, the first real foreign overseas trip since this happened I mean, he's gone to former Soviet republics that are allied with Russia, but he hasn't really left anything that was the Soviet Union since February 24th. And this will be played up in the Russian media considerably. Um, but Pre- uh, President Putin, a lot of the sources that Western media outlets and intelligence agencies relied on to get information about what was going on inside the Kremlin have kind of died, dried up of late. Um, the only interesting tidbit is that now there are people in the Duma, that's the Russian parliament, um, so they don't want to call him the president anymore. They want to use the word pravitel, which is roughly translates into ruler. I mean, even Stalin kind of had an informal moniker in the Second World War. But in his case, it was Vojd, which is the kind of more analogous to great leader. So you see um, certain people inside of Moscow trying to almost um, – Turn Putin into move away from even the democrat the pretensive democratic norms of having a president and call him kind of like their Fuhrer or the Vojd or you know any of these types of odd third world strongman names. It's very interesting to study the people involved. Before we move to uh, Korea to the Korean Peninsula, uh, a question about Erdogan at home in Turkey. Uh, I believe the inflation rate, is, as we've talked about over time, has certainly spiked even more, the lira losing value. And you, we talked last time about his leanings, which way serves him best. What would he ask of Russia, if anything, in this, uh, this meeting? I'm not sure that he really wants to ask Russia for anything or that he wants to move towards Russia. But this is Erdogan's way of kind of reminding, I mean, what Erdogan really wants is sanctions relaxation from the West. He really wants to be more integrated economically that way. He knows that his economic salvation is with the West. Um, So, but this is his way of highlighting his importance to the West and NATO, and he's hoping that by doing this, the the West will utilize a, a strategy of an increased number of carrots and rewards, perhaps, to bring him more closely into the Western alliance and to to, uh, to undermine Putin. All right. Uh, let's go to the Korean Peninsula now. I, I got to tell you, people at home, uh, while we're talking about, uh, I guess you would call it global, obviously, and high-level issues, but they do affect us here. Uh, this, to me, comes home a lot closer 
uh, whether it's for companies, hospitals, large organizations, uh, multiple ransomware incidents here linked to North Korea. They have an entire department, as you and I have discussed. And, uh, you know, this this is something any company right now could be dealing with, especially when it comes to electronic health records, uh, things that are important, uh, important period and have value. Yeah, believe it or not, this is a really important source of hard currency revenue for the North Korean government. These types of, of hacks, this isn't as for them as much uh, an instrument of statecraft deterrence or a national security exercise as it is a, a fundraising endeavor. Call it having a bake sale, North Korean style. Um, that's what they do. And I urge um, all of you, anybody out there that runs a company to really safeguard a lot of your records, as David suggested. I own a company, and we just did a comprehensive review of our IT um, safety, specifically from this and probably some other threats around the world, too. But this is a phenomenon that's not going away, and the North Koreans like to make money off of this. This and some of their illegal seafood fishing and, and smuggling operations, and even drugs, uh, is really how a lot of the North Korean elite raise the hard currency needed to at least for them, um, live a comfortable lifestyle while the rest of their people, just when you think these people couldn't suffer enough, there's, there's a new horror unleashed on them. But uh, again, it's the fundraising. I can't think of it as a bake sale, North Korean style, unless you want to be sending cookie money to Kim Jong-un. Um, you, want to, you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep your, uh, keep your IT safe. John Jordan, national security analyst, economist, business owner, as you mentioned right there, paying attention to the things that matter. Always appreciate it, my friend. I'm good to be back, David. Thank you. You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.